Well, welcome to Hemp Barons today, John McKay. It's an honor to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much. It's it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and it's always fun to be able to be participating in some of the education and pontificating about about hemp. We always have such a great time, and I learned so much from you, and really that's what I mean by the honor. You are absolutely among the top PhDs in the cannabis extract and hemp extract world, and basically in the world of testing and analysis for quantifications um, and contaminants. You come to us, of course, uh, very highly educated and with a very deep background in Waters Technology Corporation. Um, Waters, of course, being one of the very famous, and I'll I'll give a layman's terms, very famous famous analytical equipment, uh, globally renowned analytical equipment uh, manufacturer, and you were with them for 23 years, most recently as senior director for strategic technologies. We then got you into the hemp and cannabis worlds uh, from Waters and are so glad for that. Of course, you founded Synergistic Technologies Associates in 2017. You're the scientific editor of Terpenes and Testing Magazine. And hailing from my alma mater, you are the educator assistant professor on the volunteer pathway in the Department of Pharmacology in the College of Medicine with the University of Vermont, Burlington. And here we have you uh, for hemp. Tell us, and and cannabis in all of its forms, tell us what brought you into the world of cannabinoids, uh, given all of the options uh, that you could pursue. Oh, I think some of the, a great question on, on the first side, because it has a combination of motive, it has a combination of emotion, it has a combination of just analytical um, interest. So most of us got PhDs um, for one reason or another. And my reason was I just fell in love with chemistry and just wanted to know more and more and more. And my real goal, as far as once I you know, got into graduate school, was to be able to teach. And so that was my, that was my thought process. And I, I looked at large schools and I looked at small schools. I looked at large schools. And my concern with the large schools was that I would have to constantly be fighting for grants and I'd have to constantly be fighting for, you know, graduate students and being able to pay them. Where at a small school, small liberal arts school, I taught at Davidson College, I taught at Linden um, State College, I taught at some small schools, and I really enjoyed the student-to-student interaction. I enjoyed I enjoyed it when they moved to the part of, of they started to enjoy chemistry, where before when they first came into um, chemistry. Most of them looked like they were getting ready for a prep of a colonoscopy. And so when you look at that process and when, the, it, when it caught fire and they were excited about it, that was good. So I actually got into the cannabis industry. I backed into it. I didn't actually you know, pursue it as something in the beginning. I remember the day, it was in early May and uh, 2013, I think. And so on that day, there was headlines in the Boston Globe that said, you know, medical marijuana applications uh, now open. And I thought to myself, and I articulated it saying, that has got to be the stupidest idea I have ever heard. What is the American public coming to? Ugh, it's a, idiots, just people wanting to get high. And and so I, I, I address it like that. And then 
as I got into that industry, because now I was, you know, trying to support it as far as qualitative, quantitative data to, to help with potency, I came to a realization through studying and meeting people like Dr. Ethan Russo, for example, um, and people like that, that I started to read that and then realized that it had some valid and some early um, 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 activity with, with epilepsy. And epilepsy is home to me because I had a sister who died of epilepsy at a young age, early 50s, of a grand mal. And uh, she was on phenobarbital most of her life, as far as I can remember, because I was the baby of, you know, three older sisters. And so I didn't come into the world until 1954. And so she had already been, you know, she was six years old. So it, well, all I knew was that that she was always on medication. She was always a little sedated. She was always made fun of. And genetically, there's no way that she would have been different than the other three of us. It's just that. And so I saw a life um, interrupted. And I also, you know, now have uh, another member of my uh, family that's, you know, very young, under three years old. And, and she's now having seizures and such. And I saw that, you know, this actually has made a difference, was able to help her get her into a major hospital to, to look at a combination of CBD and a combination of a small molecule and, you know, reducing her seizures significantly. So how did I get into this business? I backed up into it and then found myself studying it every single day. And then from there becoming, again, just like the chemistry with the PhD, I, in, in synthetic chemistry, I, I saw so much potential, but also so much potential, potential on the benefit side, but also potential on the abuse side, whether it was from mislabeling or whether it was from putting pesticides on planets, on planets, plants at the wrong, well, we are a planet, turns out Earth is a planet. And so, but having it on plants. And so what happened there is I, as I, as I felt more compelled towards how do we make sure that there's boundaries around us? How do we make sure that there's good scientific work on it? And that's how I became with, you know, involved with the University of Vermont, for example, and doing some of the research there. So if the question is, how do you get involved in that? And how do you have an emotional and an intellectual part? So as I, as somewhere along the way, I'm sure we'll talk about is, is I still get up from 2013, fall of 2013 now to the fall of 2020, and I study 90 minutes. I study the most recent literature. I study all those, and I won't say every day. It's probably only six out of seven. But if you take those 90 minutes to an hour of every day, um, those are the number of hours that I put in as hard as I put in early in 2013. I put in, I put in this morning. And I think the reality is, of course, that due to prohibition, we have lacked research. And so there is no shortage, whether you're a PhD involved in chemistry as you are, or whether you're a gal like me who is obsessed with law and regulation. You know, I was raised, uh, and he raised me by himself, raised by an attorney, no mother, no brothers, no sisters, just me and my solo practitioner uh, dad. Um, and of course, I've been in 
compliance, complex civil litigation most of my adult life. And there is no shortage every day of new things to learn and read in every aspect um, of this incredible plant in, in all of its forms, especially if you're committed to delivering on that promise. And I did not know uh, your personal heart song in terms of uh, this family issue around epilepsy and your sister and, uh, and your living family members. So tremendously moving there and, and a harmonic convergence, as is often the case, as the plant uh, unfolds organically and uh, picks those that it wants to touch to deliver on really, as you say, creating these boundaries in this emerging industry. Um, and that's where we get into law and regulation. Let's get right into analysis and testing. Um, they're, of course, due again to prohibition and the lack of resource, uh, due again to prohibition and a lack of research uh, globally when it comes to even something as simple, and I am definitely misusing that word, as simple rabbit ears as THC, Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or CBD, cannabidiol quantification, that alone is an issue. But now we are also talking about contaminants, residual solvents, heavy metals, pesticides, mycotoxins, um, microbiology. And then we're talking about taking these substances and they're everything from an extract to a cookie, to an ice cream bar, to a salad dressing, to a Parmesan crisp capsule tablet topical. Please, for the listeners, sort of set us up for uh, a testing conversation and what we're trying to accomplish and, and the level of complexity involved with that using one of your famous analogies. I'll probably make one up because as I've always had people, once I start going off the rails and, and that's when the analogies fall apart, but we'll still move through that. I, <laughs> I believe that when you look at the quantification and the qualification. So number one is is the qualification is I want to know, you know, what items are in that, what molecules are in that mixture. And the mixture can be a plant, the mixture can be a bud, the mixture can be a leaf, the mixture can be um, an extract, the mixture can be what's left over from an extract, and it can be a final formulated product, whether it's a tincture, a brownie, a, a, a concentrate, a pure compound that can be made into something else. So you have all those all those challenges. If you just had some molecules, one or two molecules, and you wanted to separate them and qualify them, what they are and how much there is, then that's a fairly easy um, thing to do. So I will I will I will I will use an analogy. If I have a big bag of M and M's. And I'm going to use the big bag of M&Ms as something that's just molecules. And so, therefore, you have red ones, blue ones, green ones, brown ones. And so, if you only want to take out the blue ones, and those are what the ones that, that I'll designate as saying CBD, and I'll say the red ones are CBDA. So, now you have some blue ones and some red ones, and they can add up together. And then you have some green ones, and we'll make that THC, or we'll make it, you know, a terpene, a linalool, or limonene, or something. And so, when you're doing that, you're able to separate those ones, and you can. And it's fairly easy. It's it's not that hard to do that with today's scientific equipment. It just is not that hard. But even there, when you do the qualification and testing, you'll see some 
you'll see some discrepancies and we can talk about that after. But if you take the M&Ms and now you mix them into cookie dough and now you make them into cookies in individual cookies, round, square or whatever, or you put them into a cake or you put them into to something else, you've now taken those simple molecules and you've complexed them with with other ingredients that are not active ingredients, they're just ingredients. And that's where food scientists come in. That's where analytical chemists come in. The real challenge with all of these testing is the sample prep. It's not the analyzing of the compounds. You have to get the compounds out of the out of the cookie mixture. You have to get them out of the fudge. You have to get them out of the gummy bear. You have to get them out so that you've separated them so you're back to a bag of M&Ms. And I'm sure I'm sure M&Ms is so happy that I'm using this analogy. Guarantee they're happy. It's an excellent analogy. Well, thank you. It's we'll see how it works. <laughs> Indeed, sample prep uh, is a very important thing, um, and and that would still be on the lab in terms of providing, I, I think, guidance uh, to the consumer. Let's talk for a moment about qualifications of labs and what an accredited lab is. And the fact that we need not only to seek out labs that are accredited to perform the type of test that we're asking them to perform, but that they are accredited to perform that type of test on the type of product that we're asking them to perform it on. Could you elaborate on those issues and in terms of, of uh, labs, what consumers and new brand owners um, who are checking, uh, you know, quantifications and in contaminant analysis and other manufacturers and processors, especially those new to the industry, what should they know about what I just said? Ah, uh, so even though you have an instrument and even though you have, and let's make, I'm going to make it up. We'll make the instrument the car. And now you're qualified because you've been taking, you took a test that allows you to now have a license and put it in your wallet. And you're now able to, to drive that car. That does not mean that you are now qualified for Formula One racing or for NASCAR or for going over a mountain with lots of snow, nor does it qualify you to drive an 18-wheeler truck, nor does it qualify you to drive a, a motorcycle. It qualifies you to drive a car, and it does not say that you're the most qualified driver. It turns out, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of cars with dents in it, and I don't think that they were made by gnomes that came in the middle of the night and knocked some hole into the side of a car. I'm thinking just a gut guess. I haven't seen it, but I think they run into each other. And so now you have a qualified person that has a license and ran into another car. Now, when you move that to the laboratory, that means that you have to have someone with, with the certification, certification to be able to be qualified to run that instrument for the test that it's made for. And so that is your that is part of your qualification in the pharmaceutical industry or the or the chemical industry. People have to be qualified. They have to have a, a signed thing that says they, they've been tested and they are qualified to run this piece of instrumentation. And it can be a balance. It can be a liquid chromatograph, a gas chromatograph, um, inductively coupled plasma, with ICPMS, each one of those. But they're only qualified to do that. And so to look at that certificate, they're not able to say, because I ran a liquid chromatograph, 
I can now go over and run a, a gas chromatograph to be looking at my terpenes or my or my volatile pesticides. They're only allowed to, based on that certificate, to be able to run a liquid chromatograph for the potency testing that has these attributes around it. And so that's where you, you do have qualified, you have testing that has to be qualified, but this is not national testing because it has to be local because they're in the United States, it's illegal. And the rest of the, you know, the rest of the world, that's not always the case, but in the United States, it's illegal. And are we, when you say in the United States, it's illegal, we always have to check our dictionary here. This is hemp barons. So will you tell me what a part about hemp um, extract is illegal here? Or were you thinking other forms of cannabis? Oh, so any types of the form of cannabis as they're going back through, because if you have something that's outside of the hemp, then you have that. But you also have to be able to know what are the boundaries that the U.S. law has set around it to say this is legal within these boundaries. So they have boundaries of, of legality and illegality. Thank you for the clarification. Of course. And indeed, so much open to interpretation. Example, DEA's interim final rule where they are, you know, going against congressional intent in terms of uh, the definition of hemp and the and the congressional intent of of wanting to remove every piece of it, um, every piece and part of the hemp plant, including tetrahydrocannabinols derived from hemp, uh, whether or not they're exceeding uh, the 0.3% Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol concentration during an in-process um, or interim stage. So fascinating, so interesting. Let's talk, and by the way, just because it's it's so fantastic to have you here with practical advice for folks, if folks are choosing a lab, uh, and of course I have my favorites, which are the most renowned, the most experienced, um, but if they are choosing a lab, is there a bit of advice that you would give them what to look for in choosing a lab for specifically for their hemp extract products? For me, the qualification of a laboratory and evaluating them is and visiting them in person. So things look really great on the web because the web pictures that you can buy of laboratories are, are wonderful. And so for an analytical chemist, I mean, we can look at those all day. However, if I see a laboratory where I see photographs of people not wearing glasses, and not wearing gloves and not wearing, you know, protective gear, then I'm always suspect that this may have been a model somewhere and taken off of, of another thing. My, my second part is if it's not a model, then why aren't they wearing, you know, protective gear? That's number one. And number two, as you visit them and you watch the people around them and, and you watch how they do the work and, and you watch how they're, they're performing. And if people don't allow you to to look at that and they don't have a certificate for the 17025 that you would have for laboratory. You also want to look at the 17025 and every test that they've been qualified to run. 17025 does not mean that you get to run every single test. You only get to run the tests that you've shown proficiency in. And so those are the other things to do. I always talk with the 
you know, you want to talk with the lab director. It gives you a feeling of, of how they're working, what their standards are and such. So that's the number one. And then you, you, of course, go and talk to other people about what their experiences are. And if you're and if you're doing that the same way that you would do a car or the same way that you would do a restaurant or the same way you would do anything, that's the part. Don't don't put the laboratories on there like they're on another ultra plane. They're not all the same. And so that's the part that you really have to do. You have to be able to to go in and, and really do it. Your, your gut will be your first part. And then you're looking at the precision and accuracy and their customer list. And, and they must be able to tell you to, to go talk to someone they like. At least, at least get someone they like. Asking for references and checking up. Uh, it's amazing that folks, even with critical thinking hats, uh, when it comes to hemp extract or cannabis extract, and maybe it is because they just feel that they are, don't have any real knowledgeable foundation, but some folks just take off their critical thinking hat right when they need to keep it on the most. Uh, so, and particularly around labs. In fact, just as a demonstration, there was a, a certain trade association a group, a small local trade association, nothing national, uh, that had formed, you know, the trade associations are popping up everywhere. And they decided that they were going to attack a brand. Um, And so they took that, that brand's hemp extract and they sent it off to four different labs to be tested. Each of the labs that they sent it to not a single one of them were accredited to perform that type of test. Uh, and so it, it's just phenomenal. And this is a trade association, you know, uh, doing these things. And by the way, in the state where this trade association was located, uh, there was an actual definition of accredited laboratory within that state's own hemp-specific regulations. So this trade association apparently had not even read the regulations in its own state to understand that there was this thing, a defined term called accredited laboratory. Um, just it's just interesting, fascinating, and we have to laugh sometimes, um, otherwise we'll cry, over uh, that type of ignorance and how important particularly when it comes down to safety and quality assurance and meeting guidelines uh, where there are laws in place um, in, in very many respects, how, how important a level of sophistication is. Here in the United States and other developed countries, if something is being ingested orally, whether it's an animal or a human, and even absorbed through the skin, uh, we've got safety um, regulations. And in fact, and it's part of a pet peeve of my own, again, as we know, the FDA so far uh, continuing to refuse to use its enforcement discretion, help to create a regulatory framework for CBD and these cannabinoid um, products. And so the refusal to do that has apparently given some people a mythological license to completely ignore the code of federal regulations that exist and are well established for dietary supplements, foods, beverages, and cosmetics. So where the, the big message for me always is, hey, if you are engaged in the manufacture, distribution, or sale 
or holding, frankly, of dietary supplements, food beverages, or cosmetics, believe me, there's an entire enormous set of codes of federal regulations that uh, govern um, your business. And whether or not those regulations are specific to hemp extract means nothing. These are current good manufacturing practices and labeling uh, for all of the aspects um, of the quality assurance and safety of these products. If I could, let's get into these different areas of testing and issues around them. And and by the way, I want you to free flow, John, whether you want to discuss about lab issues around these areas or state regulations around these areas, let's let's just have a, a free floating thing here. If we could, let's start with heavy metals because that's a biggie. And heavy metals, of course, is a, in terms of class action, predatory lawsuits is a major one. Tell me what you are thinking about what you're seeing, um, whether it's from a lab perspective, state regulation perspective, or otherwise around heavy metals. And by heavy metals, for the listeners at home, we're talking cadmium, lead, arsenic, and mercury. Well, you don't have to go far to figure out about lead. Just call up Detroit and uh, Detroit, Michigan, United States for international listeners. And, And they have followed the children that they didn't know were ingesting lead during those few years. And I I saw it on one of the TV magazine shows. I don't know if it was, or whether it was another show that was 60 minutes for those that don't know that one also. And so if you look at that (laughs) and, and you see what happened on their ability to be able to absorb education and words and such like that you can see the powerfulness of why you don't want to have lead and number two is as you as much as you don't want to ingest lead there's probably a real good reason that you don't want to shove it into your air passages and into your lungs so when you look at that each one of those has a different range now every state has a different range of them and i'm not qualified to talk about the different ranges or whether they're relevant or not there are different ways of different types of extraction that when you take the plant and you do the extraction, that you won't, those won't pass through that. Um, when you look at what the plant does, the plant is well known to be uh, remediation. It's used in remediation because it, it, it likes to take in the metals. It does a really nice job. So I'm also not very good at plants. I can kill a plastic plant. And so even with that, you you look at the accumulation of those metals in the plant and and the different parts that they're in. So when you're looking at ICPMS or you're looking at good technology, you really those those products and the amount of product that has to be for the for the metals is um, is is easier. The the ICPMS is you got to know how to run it. It's it's you know, it's it's a it's a Formula One car in some cases, but it so that it's not so much it's hard to run. It's when something isn't giving you the right answer, that's when you need the, the PhD to, to work on it. Um, so that's my that's my thing on, on the heavy metals. And let me ask you this. I think the other thing, and 
and really, we look to the hemp extract world, looks to the U.S. Hemp Authority, uh, and you are on, you serve on that technical committee. We're so lucky to have you on that technical committee. And the U.S. Hemp Authority, of course, looks to other industry um, guidelines to help form our own for hemp extract. And part of that is relying on the U.S. Pharmacopeia, uh, relying on the American Herbal Products Association, which, of course, is so taking the lead a long time ago with regard to guidance just for botanical extracts in in general um, and heavy metals and other contaminants. And so we've got these national guidelines and yet we've got states and and i appreciate you saying hey uh, there's there's basically a patchwork there and and not to want to get into the weeds so to speak but i think a major disconnect that occurs is the fact that other than massachusetts potentially um most of the states that are coming up with their own limits for heavy metals are not even understanding or have the sophistication to understand that when it comes to heavy metals there needs to be limits for as you say ingestion ingesting orally and heavy metals limits for inhalation could you explain to the listeners why we would need uh two different types of levels ingestion versus inhalation from a public safety perspective so Humans have been walking the earth for a long time. I actually don't know how long, but um, when you when you walk around the earth, it it turns out we've been we've been eating metals for a long time, and then we spent a significant long time making making um, food dishes and other utensils that we would make to be able to you know cook some of this food as we learned how to cook. And then, um, and so we were able not only to ingest them, but we were also able to, you know, make them as concentrated as possible. And so we've we've learned through those that metals, we have to have metals in our body, but not at that quantity. And so the body likes to take care of them. The body does a really nice job trying to heal itself and, and protect it from us. I mean, that's a 24-7 job of the body just going, what is that idiot doing up there now? And so when you go through that process, then then you have a different organ called the lungs. And so the lungs are going to take in the metals. And much like extraction, they're going to go into the lungs and then they're going to come out. And so now you, you really have a different a different part of your body being able to figure out what to do with these metals. I don't know how many, how many ancient um, civilizations, uh, you know, probably you know, were smoking and, and such, and some of their rituals um, were were doing that also. And so we found out through the process. We also had mercury. Remember not to be silly. We had mercury. I mean, you go. I, I would not want to be living in Charles Dickens' London world. I don't care, you know, what was going on there. Nothing good was coming from that. There's a good reason that some of the international waters in Asia are blue and green, and turns out we're ingesting. Someone's ingesting. I'm not ingesting. It's not as well. I'm buying bottled water from the, you know, Chinese uh, market. And so when you when you're looking at that, those those are the regulations that other people have. Remembering that Lake Erie got set on fire. I mean, it's let's not be silly. So as 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 Americans, we're doing a lot of the cleanup, but we're cleaning it up so we're not ingesting them. And so that that is the difference. Um, 
and, and cannabis just happens to be another product. I don't want to be chewing on corn and lettuce and sucking in metals. I also, I cannot remember the last time I took a cantaloupe, ground it up, put it into a pipe and tried to smoke it. Indeed. Always fantastic with uh, really with these great visual analogies. But as you mentioned, and it really can't be underscored enough, um, unlike cantaloupes and corn, the cannabis plant is a phytoremediator, as you say. It uptakes contaminants in the soil. And another reason why consumers and certainly brand owners and manufacturers who aren't doing the processing really need to understand that about hemp and need to ask the correct questions in terms of of what kind of soil was this hemp grown in? And frankly, we would be looking at organic, organically grown techniques. Now, there are certainly other regenerative techniques that go far beyond even a USDA certified organic um, process, but it is incredibly important if the hemp is being grown for any type of human or animal ingestion, including absorption through the skin, we need really clean soil. Because I think a- another basic fact that escapes folks is that uh, extraction is germane to concentration. So whatever it is, uh, the contaminants or otherwise that are in your your botanical component, in this case, a a hemp plant for hemp barons, um, those components are going to concentrate through the extraction process. Um, And can you explain a little bit um, about that to us in terms of cannabinoid quantification as well as contaminants, sir? Yes. So I'm back to M&Ms. So let's do some quick math. And so I take all the M&Ms and I count them all up. And I'm going to say that there's 100 because that makes the math a lot easier for me. And I was told there'd be no math. I'm a chemist, not a mathematician. And so when I take that, there's 100 of them of, of all the different colors. And I have all these things. And what I don't want are the brown ones. And so the, let's say the brown ones are the stems. Let's say the, um, the yellow ones are the, you know, the leaves, the hard part of, of a leaf. It's not going into solution. So when you take those and now you're left with the blues and the greens and such, and uh, you, 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 you separated those out. So now there's 100, but, but you took 50, you took out 37. Oh, this is going to be bad. You took out 37 brown ones. And you took out 13 yellow ones. Now you're down to 50. And so what used to be 10 blue out of 100 is now 10 blue out of 50. That's your concentration. And if the red ones happen to be a pesticide of some sort, let's combo them all together as you know pesticides. And it went from four pesticides out of 100 and now it's four out of 50 you've done you've done that's the simple math that's the simplest way to to look at it and so that's 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 what your joy of concentration is and being able to measure that and to do the extraction now there's different ways of doing an extraction so you can have extraction with a liquid or you can have extraction with um a uh, um uh, a, a gas, or so I'll, I'll do. A, I'll back up. So with a liquid, you could have a polar liquid like an alcohol. You can have a non-polar liquid like 
hexane. Hexane is nonpolar because it only has carbons and hydrogens. There's nothing that, that makes it, you know, have more electrons than it needs. Uh, ethanol has an, an oxygen. Oxygen has lots of electrons in it. And it's and so that's that's the difference between the two. So an ethanol at room temperature, it could bring out a lot of other things. And so maybe not just the browns and the and the yellows, it 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 could be bringing out a lot of other components. And so it it washes everything out. And then you can have ones that are more selective. And hexane will only take out the non-polars. It'll leave all the other polars. So maybe so maybe when you do the hexane, you take out. Um, you take out 40, uh, excuse me, 60 different types of M&Ms, leaving only 40. So now that's where you have a different set of math, depending on what each ones are. So each, I, now I'm making this up, but I kind of like it. As as I move through a different type of solvent, it will have a, a different number that it takes out. And that influences the denominator. The, the power of the denominator is critical. And so then you have the numerator. That's the one that you have that are left over that you have on the uh, that you've taken into the into the extraction side. So it's that's what it is. If it's if it's 60 that it took out, then you're going to have a higher concentration of the other um, of the blue ones. And you know, the, the, the 10 blue over 40 is a different number than the 10 blue over 50. I don't know if that answered the question, but I think I was close. You did great. No, thank you. This is wonderful. And and I'm going to, I'll always give you credit, but I'm borrowing slash stealing some of these analogies <laughs> um, as it goes through. Now, now let's explain for the listeners, unlike cannabinoid quantification, so the extraction process is happening, your hemp is going into the machine, comes out the other end, you've got this increase in CBD. And let's say you don't, let, let's say that you're growing for some type of, of a precision spectrum and you don't want that much CBD well or or there's too much THC you can remediate it can you do that sir with other types of well that would be a cannabinoid that we're quantifying can you remediate other types of contaminants is it possible the quick answer is yes and we're going back to the M&Ms poor company so if I have some some different types of M&Ms. There, there's good technology that allows you to differentiate between chemicals. Um, for example, let's go on the positive side. Let's not let's not just dwell on the fact that I, I I have bad things in there. There could be some good things in there. And so, if I'm wanting to take the terpenes, and I know that the terpenes they're very small hydrocarbons, very small molecular weight. That's why you smell them. And so they're up in the air. And so what you're doing is you can do a distillation or you can do away with CO2 or something else to be able to take them off because their vapor pressure is higher, significantly higher than the cannabinoids. Then you're able to separate those out based on their volatility. And so that's the same thing that you would have. So you would have, you know, whether it's distillation or it's CO2 or it's ethanol, you're, you're able to take those and you're able to distill them out. Um, 134A is another one that, that can be done. Now, the tr now you have a challenge of, of maybe it's the lipids and the long chain carbons that we call waxes as a, as a name. So now if you're taking those out, you, you know that they're not as soluble when it's colder than it is warmer. So if I have, 
If I have iced tea, love iced tea in the summer. You gotta love iced tea in the summer. You take it, you make the tea, and you put the ice cubes in. And and if you do it out of sequence, and now you put the sugar in last, well, a lot of the sugar goes down to the bottom. So now, how do you how do you take the sugar out? You know, and so you have to be able to to know that as you get it colder, more sugar will drop out. And so what you do is you is you have the iced tea and you might, you know, um, be able to put it in the fridge and more and more sugar will drop out. Um, bad example. I still work with it, though. Ah, we just came out of a holiday where we like to 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 go out and kill big birds and put them on table. And then we eat the big bird for, I don't know, seven weeks until we get another big bird. And so what happens is when you're making that and you bring out all the oil, you put it into the freezer, you just put it into the refrigerator. And the next day, there's a, a layer of stuff that you're not really expecting. The children are going, going, oh my gosh, look at that. All the fat came to the top and it's solid. Mommy, mommy, can we have some of that? No, that's not the same thing as making, you know, making a, um, sugar. And so what happens is, is that is exactly what's happening when you take that, when you're trying to get rid of axes and fat. So those are separations. So when you ask, can you remediate? By definition, you are remediating the waxes. By definition, you are remediating the um, the other material that's in there. So now you talk about pesticides. What you have to do for pesticides is they're a different molecule. So now what you have to do is you have to have a different type of separation. And the most common one is, is chromatography because that separates one component from another. And then the other part that you have is, is, is separating out things so that you want to have more of, of the other components. One can only wonder what the dinging is in the background. I'm assuming I won something. And so if you go back through and, and you see that I can, I can remediate out the pesticides, that's easy enough except for some of the ones that are very similar to the cannabinoids um, because they're, they're just so similar. But some of the other ones are more polar, and so they're, they're able to be discriminated against. So it's a discrimination and separation. So the quick answer is yes, and the longer answer is if you play it back the last five minutes, that's the longer answer. No, which is excellent. What I think I was also trying to get to <laughs> is heavy metals. Is it possible to remediate heavy metals from your botanical extract? The heavy metals will not solubilize in CO2. And you have five micron filters, most of on these CO2 instruments that are, that are out there. There's, it's very little chance that any metal is going across that interface. They're just going to stay behind. They're, they're the marbles. The marbles are staying behind. They're not going through the, the CO2. They're, that's uh, well known. There's a lot of good work that's been done that I think Dr. Chris Udala over at, uh, at his lab. Proverde. Yeah, Proverde. He's done a lot of work on that one. So, you know, I think a lot of that has been proven. Um, that's pretty well known. So, and it, it is well known among you chemistry people and well known, of course, among uh, canna cannabis extract leaders and, and botanical extracts in general, obviously. But, uh, but it's why it's so important that you get clean soil to grow your clean hemp for human or animal ingestion or or skin absorption um, because they're not going anywhere people that you've got to start with clean hemp in order to meet those specs for safety and quality assurance and 
And finally, as we wrap up here, anything that you want to share with the listeners, particularly around microbiology and mycotoxins and concerns with hemp extract? Because, boy, this can happen anywhere along the way. There's the plant, the raw biomass itself. Then there's the extract. It can even happen in packaging and bottling. Anything that you want to share with the listeners around that? So there, there are some... Uh amusingly sad stories on that side. Um, and I hate to uh, bring up Chris's name again, uh, Dr. Hudala. A hero of mine. Bring him up anytime you want. And there's good people out west in the middle. I just happen to, to know some of the stories on that one. And, and it was mostly uh, finding all kinds of different uh, microbiology things uh, because people sometimes, so I'll back up. Number one, a chemist, when they go to the bathroom, a good chemist washes their hands before they go to the bathroom. Okay. Another point for every human out there, if you're worried about different things, you wash your hands before you go to the bathroom and you wash your hands afterwards. Okay. We've mostly been told, wash your hands afterwards. I'm just like, no. But if you have other people that don't adhere to that principle, they're touching everything. Who would have thunk it? And so even through the extraction magazine, he was finding things that typically would not be found in cannabis. You know, it's just things that would have been found after people not washing their hands, going to the bathroom or sticking their fingers in, in orifices like their nose and mouth and ears and, and all that other stuff because people can't stop touching themselves. But when you go to the plant and you look at aflatoxins and okra toxin, that that compound will not that um, uh, uh, compound will not fall will not live. The microorganism will not live through CO two. It's it's not going to live. You you you've taken it up to pressures and temperatures. That thing is not standing. But the molecules that they made before you killed them are still in there and they're organic molecules and they will go to the other side. I do, I'm sorry to mention Chris Adela again, but he's written papers on that. He's given presentations on that, on what's, on what's moving from one side to the other. And so when you look at that, that, that's the part that you have. You have to be careful of global statements of, yeah, CO2 kills it all. Yeah, it kills it all, but, but it did a lot of damage before then. And not every fungus and, and other things are, are, are bad for that too. I mean, so when, when you look at that, there might be things that have made molecules, but that doesn't mean that they're dangerous. You do have aflatoxins. Those are dangerous. We, we, you know, we have enough things with peanuts and other stuff. So when you look at that on my long winded answer is when farmers are in the Midwest or farmers anywhere, that is their number one concern on their corn, on their soy, on their, you know, anything that's out there, that is their major one concern. So when you have the USDA or FDA or any other regulations that are out there, they're used to, they're used to, to, to battling that. And so it, and, and if they've, and if you have cannabis farmers that aren't like corn farmers or like wheat farmers, then they're not, or peanut farmers, they're not going to know those regulations as well as, as well as those people. They, they live it and they, and they breathe it. And what about then? Um, because, of course, 
folks are testing their finished products uh, after, of course, they've been processed, they're manufactured, they, they then are tested. Um, and there are really only three states right now, and New York is still in a proposed state, that even require this type of mycotoxin testing. And I believe that is Ohio, Alaska, as it were, and New York, which again is, a, is in a proposed state. What do you think about the fact that only three states currently are requiring finished hemp products uh, to be tested for these mycotoxins? Alaska, I, I didn't know that one. That's, uh, that's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. hmm. And so when you're looking at that, if, if all the states have testing for hay and peanuts and other products that could be um, harmful to your human body, my thought is that this is no, no different if the plant is in the same category. And I'm not as familiar with the with the categories of of good agricultural practices for those plants, or they have. Now, being at Waters, and also we had another small company that that was just focused on that quick test that would go out to the field, and you had a quick test. There's a lot of quick tests out there for for measuring those uh, those mycotoxins. If, but at the same time, I think one of my first uh, sales at Waters in 1983 was to a, was to a cookie factory. And, and I didn't know anything about cookies. I came out of Vermont and then I walked into this place outside of Charlotte and there were, there were, it, it, it was just conveyor belts of, of cookies going by, but they were peanut butter and they bought a system for licking alpha and beta and you know, looking for the real details on on the on the on the peanuts, because their fear was that they'd be shut down. It doesn't matter that they didn't grow peanuts. It doesn't matter that they weren't that they weren't doing extraction of peanuts. It didn't matter. What mattered was is they had a little bit of peanut between a couple of crackers, and they were six in a pack, and off they went. I I was fortunate enough to get a, a goodie package before I left, and I tell you what, those those were. That was, that was good cookies. I, I liked I like peanut butter. I like peanut butter uh, crackers. Man, and and I'll tell you, folks need to understand that the brand name that's on the label is the brand name that's going to be the name defendant <laughs> in yeah. a litigation. So, or a class action, and then they'll go up the chain from there. But uh, so we get a lot of people. You know, the the barrier to get into this industry, into the hemp extract industry, as a brand owner, is not real high right now. And and there's all kinds of unsophisticated Tom Dick Carries and three names for females too, um, <laughs> you know, getting into this, this business and I, uh, without understanding or even having the sophistication again to a understand that it's highly regulated because we're talking about liberation of an aspect of the cannabis plant after how many decades of hysterical prohibition on top of the fact that for dietary supplements, food, beverage, and cosmetics you are in the United States of America here and they're highly regulated and just throwing your name uh, on the label uh, does not in any way, shape or form uh, 
uh, recuse you or otherwise excuse you from these types of responsibilities. You're the ones getting sued if it's your name on the label. So just so, so important. Man, this went by I think, way I think we can use another name. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I, we can use Pat, Kim, and Terry so you don't have to qualify males and females. Pat, Tim, and Harry. Thank you. I'm going to use Harry, that one the next time. Harry, not Harry, Terry. If it's Harry, I'm I'm really Terry. I'm really about that woman. So Pat, Kim, and Terry. There must be Pat, Kim, and Terry. Oh, because oh, and you came. Are you an SLN fan? Because SNL no. fan. Well, yeah. It's Pat. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Uh, John McKay, I cannot wait till we can gather again in person and I get to actually be in the same room with you and enjoy all of the humor and the education that you have to offer. You are one in a million. I can't wait to have you back on the show. Well, thank you for all your leadership and volunteering so much of your time, you know, for all of the different great associations and also, you know, watching out for us. And uh, i I, I've taken the class, so I have my certificate. I got it in my house that I took the class from you. So I'm qualified to have been in a class that you were ta taught, and I and I took the test. And uh, and so thank you so much for for all of that. I mean, it's it's a lot of hard work. A lot of people can just let it go by. Let someone else do it. Let someone else do it. Let someone else do it. And that hasn't been your mo. Your mo has been, is it? All right, I will do this, but. I will say that you you have a way of getting volunteers to help you. And so thank you so much for all your for all your help and leadership. And, and that's just been great. It's made a difference. It's made a difference. I'm, I'm going to take a second to receive that from someone I respect so much. I usually deflect all of that, um, but it's it's a purpose-driven life. It fills me with so much, you know, reward, and it, and it fills me with happiness. It's a purpose-driven life, just like the one that you have, John. And before we go, this is the most important thing. I can't believe we didn't spend more time on this. Synergistic Technologies Associates, what can people hire Brilliant Expert You to help them with for their company? Oh, so if you're looking for someone who is going to come in and tell you that you are not healthy or that you are healthy, there's so many people that um, come to a point in time that they don't feel well and, and they don't have a mirror. And so I'm a mirror. And I show them that they're yellow and they probably want to consider dialysis. Or I will also go in and say these things are, are positive. These things are good things that are happening. But these three processes over here are your rate limiting step and they're holding you back. And so on the extraction side, I really enjoy extraction. I really enjoy the, the young people and the old people that are that are involved in extraction. And so that that's what I do is, is, uh, people do that. And, um, and I also help, um, people that are expecting to get into the industry. They think it's going to be wonderful. So I do teach classes, um, about extraction. There's a lot of M&Ms and there's a lot of other analogies. There's a lot of coffee, but those are the things that, that I bring about. And, uh, and I encourage a lot of people not to get into extraction after, after they've taken my class, because they look at it and go, wow, I was told it was going to be really easy. This this is easy, but should I be doing this? And and that's a good thing. So I, I save people from losing money. I will say one more thing. I'm so sorry. 
And that is back Jeez. in the early days, people would tell me that they were going to, you know, go into extraction. They had a bunch of money and they were going to go into extraction. And I would tell them the following thing. And that is take all the money that you're going to invest in the next year, put it in the back of your car in small bills, 20s, 50s, 100s, get up to speed on a major highway, open up the windows so that the money will fly out so that someone will benefit from all the money you're going to lose in the next year. And there's not one person who looked at me and said, gosh, that's such wise advice, Dr. McKay. Usually they said, you are the rudest person I've ever met. And three days later, they'll come back around in the exhibition and see me and say, I am not investing at this time until I learn more about this business. I need to know about this because this is a business that you have to know what you're doing and you have to have a passion and you have to have a motivation. And there has to be a personal story that's driven behind it because you're going to come to those hard days. And those are the days that keep me going. And those are the days that will keep them going. Oh, so fantastic. And folks can go right to mjbulls.com. We're going to have all the links uh, for Dr. John McKay there. You can get in touch with him to hire him for his services. If you want a real expert or you want to save yourself $10 million because you're going down the wrong road or you've invested it and you need to do it right, Dr. John McKay. John, thank you for everything, brother. I cannot wait to see you in person again, and we'll have you back again here on Hemp Barons. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Back. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked, the podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked. 